Well, welcome to Grace Life Church. As you know, um, the church consists of God's people, not just a building, not just a place to gather, but the people and the Lord that are there with them. And the Bible says, where two or more gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So thank you for joining us, uh, wherever you're at, whoever you're with, in your living room, uh, with your phone somewhere, hopefully not driving and looking at it, but hopefully listening with us. Uh, my name is Tommy Clayton. I'm the lead pastor of Grace Life Church, and I'm thankful for the Kakari family, for Matt and Lindsay opening up their living room for us this morning, and again, our amazing team uh, of, of techies that are here with us and worship leaders. We're thankful for all you guys and, and for Megan as well. Um, I was reminded this week of just a couple of places in the New Testament where we are reminded how precious it is to really gather together, person-to-person, uh, face-to-face. Both the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul wrote about that. Check this out. This is John in 2 John verse 12. He said, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. He says, instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Hopefully one of the blessings, if you want to call it that, of not being able to gather in person is, is this longing that God put inside of us for we do want to be together. Hebrews 10 talks about don't neglect to do that. And when that is, you're deprived of that or that's taken away from you, hopefully Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, the Apostle Paul said it this way. Since we were torn away from you, brothers, don't you feel like that right now? Like we've been torn away from each other and in, in, in physical presence. Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. Um, so even though we can't be together face-to-face, person-to-person, I'm thankful we have the technology to be able to live stream these services. And in just a minute, Kyle and TJ are going to come and lead us in worship. But first, I want to give to you the traditional Grace Life greeting that we did, I think, the first few months when we planted our church in the DHS uh, facility back in 2015. We used to say this every single week. I'm going, to, I'm going to recite this to you, okay? To all who mourn, and that's a lot of us right now, and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and then I added this one last night, to all who fear and worry and are anxious and need hope, and to whoever else will come or will tune in, this church, Grace Life Church, offers wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So I want to pray and then invite our worship team to come and lead us again like they have been doing so faithfully. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these times that you have put us in to where you call us to trust you. And we, we can praise God during a pandemic. We can do that. Lord, um, you enable us. You, you empower us to do that. We have your spirit. We have the truth. We have one another. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I pray for all the anxious and apprehensive, fearful, worrying, fretting people out there that today, th- these songs that we sing, it won't just be music, it will be truth come alive, Lord, and made more beautiful for our eyes to see these lyrics, for our mouths to recite them, and for our hearts to believe them, Lord. And just transform us today by the truth sung and by the truth spoken. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. first song is perfect for the days we are in because there's a lot of fear in people's lives today and uh, 
You should just de declare this song this morning and sing it so loud that your neighbors think you're crazy. Yeah. 
Lord, we thank you that because of you, we can have victory, God. And we thank you that in such a dark time when there's so much fear and worry, that we can trust in you, God. We can trust in your promise and trust in your hope. And we can know that that hope stands, Lord, and that promise will stand. And one day we'll be with you where there is no more sickness, God. We don't have to worry about it anymore. And we thank you, Lord, that you are holy above all. In Jesus' name, amen.
can't be in a big group, Lord. We are still the body of Christ, and we are still together in spirit, Lord. And you bring us together through your spirit, God, and through your word. And I pray for Tommy that as he delivers the message, you open up everyone's heart, Lord, whether they're online or they're here in this room today, God. Open everyone's heart to receive what you would like us to receive from your word today, Father. And bless Tommy as he delivers a message. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, before Tommy comes up and starts his message, I'm going to read Psalm um, 33, if you want to join me. The steadfast love of the Lord, in verse 1, says, says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word, the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all of the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation who, whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all of the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out. On all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions, fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let, this, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Well, good morning. Keep your Bibles open or your devices open to wherever you were scrolling to follow along with that psalm. And again, I just want to thank our team that's here for making this available. And I want to thank personally Jeff Stein, who just recently has offered up all of uh, his equipment and his time. And we're thankful, Jeff. Listen, if, the, if you're watching this and it doesn't look like a bad kung fu movie from the 70s or it doesn't look like a Bin Laden capture video, you have Jeff and his team and Megan and all the others to thank for this. Um, but if it is, uh, if it does look like really pixelated or if the audio and the video aren't syncing, we're sorry. We're doing the best we can. The video will be available later for you to watch and download. Um, you can't escape my voice, right? <laughs> so so uh, hopefully hopefully this is uh, an incredible blessing uh, to be able to gather in this way. We're, we're still committed as a church to gather, to grow, and to go. It just is going to look a little bit differently. And you can follow all the updates on our website. As you know, we're at the mercy of the Volusia County School Board. Uh, and really the state and local authorities now and the federal authorities who have 
basically shut down schools for an in, uh, unspecified amount of time for us at least through Easter so this is going to be be the way we gather so you guys can just count on it unless we give you some fresh updates from the website uh, and that's gracelifeflorida.com we'll keep your Bibles open and I want to introduce this you know as a lot of things that, that we try to do on Sunday this began as a sermon uh, it began as really my personal time just reflecting on the truths of Psalm 33 and then very quickly it, it became a message and I said I want to share this with the people of Grace Life uh, and then after that it became a series and so there's so much truth and beauty and power in this psalm I don't want to rush through it I want to take our time we got all the time in the world right now right so we're gonna take our time and go through this uh, for the next several weeks probably three weeks um, today we're just gonna look at one overwhelming beautiful powerful truth from this psalm but I want to introduce it this way you know we're, we're facing a crisis right now this this pandemic it's obviously unless you're in a cave somewhere this is on your radar and for a lot of people it's overwhelming to them it really is and it's interesting whenever we encounter a crisis or a trauma or some kind of emergency you know it our emotions leak out we, we can't suppress them we can't hide them they rise to the surface it's like a beach ball in the ocean or in a swimming pool. You try to keep it pushed down, try to keep it suppressed and hidden, but it just pops up. Our emotions pop up. Some of those emotions you may be seeing right now are fear, of course, obviously, fear, anxiety. Maybe you're, maybe it's anger. People are angry because their lives have been interrupted and their plans have been squashed. Or for some people, maybe it's just depression and just absolute dread and dismay. We can't stop our emotions from rising to the top. They leak out, right? Um, in fact, I would say this, though. Emotions are just signposts, okay? They're just pointing to something deeper. Um, they're pointing to our worldview. That's another thing that leaks out when a crisis or an emergency happens. Our worldviews leak out, right? So if emotions are smoke, then you could say it like this. Our worldview, and worldview is just simply the, the deeply held uh, values and beliefs that we hold to that, that shape our life and, and provide meaning for us. So if emotions are smoke, then worldview would be fire. That's what is deep down underneath. In a crisis, all a crisis or an emergency does is just test your worldview, right? It tests it. It's like applying pressure to a bridge that's been built. Or uh, maybe a negative view would be this. For some people, this is where I'm headed. For some people, they have an inadequate worldview. It's inadequate. It's got holes in it. It's weak. It can't help them make sense of their life or the world they live in when something like this happens. But that's a good thing because in God's wisdom and in His mercy, He does that. He, he tests our faith and our worldviews, what it is that we're deriving our hope from. Uh, I, I was a carpenter for many years, and it, it's interesting to me. You could go to a house that looked beautiful on the outside. There would be support beams and columns on the inside, and they looked fine. And then you took something sharp. And, and, and poked at it, maybe like an inspector does when he comes to appraise your house, right? And a colony of termites had just infested that. It looked fine on the outside, but when you poked at it a little bit and dug and investigated and explored, you saw, man, this thing's hollow. It's empty. This house looks beautiful, but it could come crashing down at any moment because there's rot and termite damage on the inside. And I saw that the other day. Uh, and look, I don't go looking for these things. They just seem to find me. I was reading an article. Now, this was an article that was featured by, by uh, CNN and other news posts. This was not a tweet that I found on Twitter. It wasn't some amateur's blog post. This was an article written 
by uh, an accomplished writer, and I'm sure it went through several phases of editing. So it was just interesting to me how well she articulated what this crisis, what this pandemic is doing to her worldview. This was a mother uh, who was writing an article about her two teenage daughters, one 19 and one 18, and they both came home from college, obviously because of this. Most colleges are shut down and have gone strictly to online tools for learning. Um, but the, here is a quote that I found in that article, and I was reading it to my wife, and I just couldn't believe how clearly um, her worldview leaked out. Check this out. She said this. She said, my girls, like countless of the world's children, have been wrenched from routines and friends, the architecture of their lives dismantled and replaced with a return to the orbit of parents who themselves can't say what's coming. And then she says this. Check this out. Our ability to comfort them has been muted and undermined by the speeding train of the virus and the whirlwind of devastating news. Did you catch that last part? Let me read that again. Listen to it really carefully, okay? Our ability, she's talking about her and I take it her husband or her partner, our ability to comfort our daughters has been muted and undermined by the speeding train of the virus and the whirlwind of devastating news. Did you catch that? So, in other words, she is no longer able to provide comfort to her daughters. Why? Because this pandemic, it muted her voice of comfort. It undermined her ability to provide stability and hope to her daughters. And I'm thinking, you know what? Again, that wasn't just some uh, reckless tweet that she sent out in the middle of the night. That was an edited article. She's saying, seriously, my worldview is, is getting wrecked right now. I can't even speak a word of hope or comfort to my daughters because of this, because of this pandemic. And, and listen, Christians, uh, is this not... Is there not a more opportune time than the present to test our worldview? Is your voice to offer comfort uh, to the people around you or, or even to yourself? Has it been muted or hasn't been undermined? Because the Bible says no. You know what? There is no greater time to search out and explore all the, the various ways that we can comfort ourselves from the Bible than right now. Our, our ability to comfort has not been muted. It's been amplified. And it hasn't been undermined. I think it's been underscored. In fact, I can think of plenty of times in history. Listen, when the, when the early first century Christians, the martyrs, when they were taken to the Colosseum and thrown to the lions, do you know what they were doing? They were singing. They were singing hymns. Why? Because their, their voice to comfort themselves was not muted and it wasn't undermined. And listen, that's just, that's just one example of many. Um, I was reading the other day the story of when John Wesley, uh, for those of you that don't know, he and his brother Charles Wesley, um, they basically founded the Methodist church movement back in the 1700s. But John Wesley, back then, he was a young preacher, and he got on a ship to cross the Atlantic Ocean and to go to America from England. So he was crossing the ocean, and a, a violent storm broke out from out of nowhere, and it, it it ripped the sails to shreds, and the water poured over the deck and was just sweeping over. The ship was virtually sinking. And John Wesley, he's a Christian. He's a hymn writer along with his brother. He's a preacher, and he was going to be a chaplain for prisoners in America and Georgia, actually. And this storm was, he was scared out of his wits. He thought he was going to drown. He thought he was going to die. He was panicking, and he heard singing. And he looked down in the hold of the vessel, and there were these Moravian Christian missionaries from Germany, and they were singing hymns. They were singing hymns when the ship was virtually sinking. And, and, and later, Wesley would say, you know what? That was the, 
that was the spark that God used to reveal to me that I'm not, I'm not truly hoping in Christ alone. He wasn't even a Christian at the time. He had a very distorted view of the gospel. It was based on works, not just faith in Christ alone. And God used that to show John Wesley, you know what? I don't have the view of God that they have. I don't have the kind of assurance and hope that's anchored and steadfast and immovable and indestructible like they have. All it took was a storm to just wreck his confidence. <coughs> Excuse me. Coughing my elbow, right? And all it, all it took for this mother, all it took to mute her voice of comfort and undermine her ability to speak comfort to her daughters was a germ. It brought her to her knees. And listen, let's be honest. This pandemic has brought just about the whole world to its knees. And people, I, I have never seen such hopelessness before. The other morning, my, my wife and I got up uh, early in the morning before the kids did, and we were reading our Bibles. And I was reading this psalm right here, Psalm 33. And man, I was ready to charge hell with a water pistol. I really was. Uh, coming off of verse 11, the, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. His plans to, to every generation, the plans of his heart to every generation. I was ready, man, to go to war. And then my wife said, uh, honey, we need, I forget what it was, but I had to go out. It was early in the morning. 20-minute drive there and back. 20 minutes. I made the mistake <laughs> of turning on, uh, and, uh, turning on uh, the news channel in my car. And it was basically, it would have been like R.E.M. It's the end of the world as we know it, except the last part. I feel fine. Nobody felt fine. Everyone was panicking. We're running out of toilet paper. We don't have enough masks. We don't have enough ventilators. Uh, 60 to 70% of the world is going to get this. I just had to turn it off. I went back home and I'm like, man, when I left here, my heart was anchored. My, my, my hope was calibrated. I was ready. And then I got in my car and it took 20 minutes, just 20 minutes. And I needed to go back and recalibrate my heart in the book of Psalms, and maybe you do too. Maybe that's where we're all living right now. That's why God gave us 150, uh, 150 psalms to, to do this with. And this psalm is, is one of the most powerful, and I, and I love it. Um, and so I, I want to give you a little bit of test here, okay? So let's talk about this mom again for a minute. If her voice was muted to speak comfort, and her ability to comfort was undermined, um, what was it before that was giving her comfort? And, and listen, I want to be honest. I want this to hit all of us where we live. I want to get in your kitchen a little bit. So what would represent good news to you during this time right now? Let's just all be honest. What are the things that we are hoping in right now? Could it be that the government bailout checks uh, are going to be in the mail tomorrow? Maybe, hopefully. I don't know when they're going to send those things. Could it be that they are working at breakneck speed to develop a, a vaccine for all of us to take, right? Could it be that you know the world leaders are watching other countries and they're learning and, and they're, they're coming out with these um, drugs that supposedly weaken or even wipe out the symptoms overnight? Could, does, that, does that represent good news? That represents some good news. That's hopeful. But listen, those things may change at any given moment. They may change at any given moment. And then where's your hope going to be? It's going to be wrecked. It's going to be shipwrecked, right? Um, it's, it's interesting to me as we, you heard Megan read this psalm earlier down in verses uh, 16 and 17 it's interesting what the psalmist says he says the king is not saved by his great army a warrior is not delivered by his great strength the war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue the psalmist is acknowledging hey there's some powerful realities in the world like a government is powerful. Doctors are fantastic. 
nurses and the whole health system is just amazing. They're mighty. They're powerful. We've trusted in them before. But what's, what's this psalm say? It says it's a false hope. Those things are false hopes, and they can crumble beneath us, right, and reveal a worldview that was built on shifting sand. There is a deeper, more abiding, more powerful, and more eternal uh, hope to build our lives on, a God-centered hope, and that's what this psalm is, is, is really talking about. So I, if I could look that mother in the eye and I could say, Allison, that's her name, Allison, look, only one voice has been muted and, and only one source of comfort has been undermined, uh, but it was one that was not eternal anyway. So, you know, you can still comfort your daughters. And listen, for those of you out there that have, maybe you have a brother that owns a restaurant or maybe you have a mom or a dad or a grandpa, a grandparent who has a weak, compromised immune system, and you're thinking, how do I comfort them? Heck, how do I comfort myself right now? What news would sustain me? Well, there's actually three pieces of news, and we're going to see all three of those in this psalm, okay? In the next two or three weeks, we're going to look at one each Sunday. Today, we're going to just look at one truth, and it's this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign, and that's a word that I know not a lot of people uh, use. Um, that's the reason that we're calling this series and this sermon God Is is because this psalm is all about God, his, his character, his attributes, the qualities, uh, his power, his glory, but primarily his sovereignty. And that just means, that's a word that means that God is, is powerful, he is in control, and he rules all over uh, the world that he created, the fallen parts, the redeemed parts. God rules over animals. God rules over angels. God rules over things visible. He rules over things invisible. Uh, every molecule, R.C. Spro used to say that there is no uh, rogue or uh, maverick molecule in the world. Uh, God is sovereignly ruling over every one of those realities. Whether we see them or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, God is still sovereign and he is in control. And that's really what I want to talk to you about uh, this morning, because I don't think the real disease is coronavirus right now uh, for us. I want to just be very pastoral for you. I think the real disease for us could be fear and dread. It could be fear and dread. And I think that I would be a terrible shepherd to our people um, if I did not do everything within my power to help you to obey what the Bible says. So often, no matter where you go in the Bible, you're eventually going to bump into this command. Do not be afraid. I've, I've read somewhere, I've heard somewhere that there are over 350 different commands in the Bible that virtually say the same thing. Don't be afraid or stop being afraid or do not fear. And what's interesting to me is if you read the context when, when you find a passage like that, the context is always this underlying promise that helps you. It's not just a finger wagging or scolding you or exhorting you. That's not how God operates. God always gives you a promise to help you obey a command, right? And even though you don't really find the command anywhere in this passage uh, to not be afraid or to not fear, I think that the entire psalm is an antidote for people who are afraid and anxious right now. Um, and I'll say this. You may disagree with it, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think the Bible teaches this. The opposite of fear is not just being calm. Because listen, somebody who totally rejects God and doesn't believe in God and mocks the Bible, they can be calm, right? God is calling us, when he says don't be afraid, he's calling us to, to something deeper, and it's, and it's trust. Trust is on the fringes of it, but I would say it's worship. 
the, the opposite of being afraid is worshiping, and that is exactly what this psalm calls us to do. Right from the get-go, that's, that's one of the only commands in this psalm. You know, there's, there's seven different commands. Six of them are commands to sing and to rejoice and to worship. So check it out. I'm just going to read the first few verses together, and you listen for what the psalmist is telling us to do. I don't know what was going on when this psalm was written. We're not given the historical context. I don't even know who the author is. It's one of those very few anonymous psalms that we have. It's like a sock. One size fits all, but I'm digging this because it's, it's, it's almost as if it has a universal and generic application. Whatever it is you're going through, this psalm is applicable to you, especially during a pandemic. So check this out. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. That's the first command. Shout. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And I just love that because that's in six different ways it's telling you, look, this is not just academics, okay? This is not just you stoically reciting and rehearsing some truths that you can agree with on paper, on ink, in a, in a book. No, this God is telling you, these truths are so beautiful and they're so powerful. They need to come alive in your heart and you need to relish them. You need to sing them. You need to enjoy them. That's what it's telling us to do. Um, and listen, it's not the kind of singing either that's uh, like you're playing the fiddle when Rome burns like Nero, right? No, this is, this is not a hopeless singing. This is uh, hope building. This is, this is worship. This is the opposite of being afraid. It's worship. And I find it interesting, this psalm, it's commanding us to sing. I love the fact that when we've uh, put these live streams together, one of the things we really wanted to offer was music. We did not want that to stop because, listen, that is so important to God and to God's people for us to sing these truths. Like John Wesley heard the Moravians doing on that boat, like the early Christians did when they were thrown to the lions. Why, why were they singing hymns and not just quoting hymns? Because singing makes the, the truth Come alive in your heart. It makes it more beautiful. When, when you see something that is just enrapturing to you and captivating you to you, what do you do? A lot of people, would, they, they go to art. They have to draw a picture of it, or they have to write a poem about it, or they have to write a song about it. That's what this psalmist did. And listen, one of my favorite parts in the Bible is, is uh, Habakkuk chapter 3. And that is when basically an invasion, a foreign invasion, was happening to the Israelites. God had promised that it would come. And Habakkuk is wrestling and he's struggling, but eventually he resigns himself to God's will. And the very, for all the time you have this week, I would encourage you go to Habakkuk chapter 3 and read the last few verses because you're going to find there a, a man of God resigning himself to, to God's providence, to whatever it is that God is going to bring to pass. And this is what he said, this poem. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and though fruit be not on the vine, Though the produce of the olive fail, though the fields yield no food, though the flocks be cut off from the field, and though there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And then here's what's so interesting about that. The very last verse says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. Do you get that? He was singing this. He wasn't just confessing, okay, whatever happens is going to happen. No, he composed a song and he was singing that. And that's what God commands us to do. The New Testament says that, right? To people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, 
You know what it says that we will do? One of the fruits of that is that we will make melody in our hearts to the Lord. It says that we will uh, sing spiritual hymns and songs to one another. Why is that? Because there's a power that happens. And listen, we do that better together. That's what I'm, That's one of the greatest things I'm missing right now is being able to sing together with our church family. But you don't have to be together to do what the psalm is calling you to do. This is You can do this by yourself in the shower, in the car, maybe for some of you with the windows up, right? If you're like me and don't have that great of a voice. Um, but the psalmist is calling us here to celebrate and rejoice in God's truth and relish God's truth. And that's just one of the preliminary points is that we are to celebrate the rest of the truth that we're going to see in this psalm here. So the series is um, God is. And so what we want to do is we want to talk about the best news in the world is not focusing on a pandemic. It's not focusing on us, what this psalmist calls us to do, what really the rest of the Bible calls us to do is to focus on God himself. God is. God is. Um, early in my ministry, I read a book by John Piper, and it was called The Supremacy of God in Preaching. And I'm so thankful that God put that book into my hands because it was so influential to me at a time when I was like a sponge and I was just soaking up. How do we preach? How do we share truth? What should that look like? What should uh, our sermons look like? And I, and I read... Uh, this book by John Piper, and I remember at the very beginning of it, I think in the introduction, he told a story. He said way back in the beginning of his ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, he wanted to do kind of an experiment. He was reading Isaiah, and he wanted to preach on chapter 6. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, it's, it's an amazing passage if you've read it before. Um, it, it was a time when there was a crisis in Israel. King Uzziah had died, and he had died uh, I think a shameful death of leprosy because of rebellion and disobedience and the whole country was in an uproar. You can imagine if you were under the reign of a monarch and he died and that death was a judgment, you would be, uh-oh, what's next? What's going on? And so Isaiah chapter 6 is this beautiful passage. Um, it's this beautiful passage where God shows Isaiah in the temple a vision of himself. And it's just four verses. I'm going to read it. But John Piper determined that he was going to preach that, and he wasn't going to do what he typically did in the past, give a whole bunch of points of application and give a bunch of illustrations. He was just going to preach that and focus on the supremacy of God, the holiness of God, the power, the majesty, the glory, the heaviness, the weightiness of God. And let me read this passage, okay? This is what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Then John Piper says this. He says, I preached and I did my best to display the majesty and glory of such a great and holy God. I didn't realize that not long before this Sunday, one of the young families at our church discovered that their child was being sexually abused by a very close relative. It was incredibly traumatic. They were there that Sunday morning and sat under that message that I preached from Isaiah. He says, some weeks later, the husband took me aside one Sunday after service, and he said, John, 
Pastor John, these have been the hardest months of my family's life. Did you know what has gotten me through that difficulty? The vision of the greatness of God's holiness and glory that you gave me that first week in January. It has been the rock that we can stand on. And then Piper said this. He said, the greatness and the glory of God are relevant. That is the deepest need that we have. People are starving for God. God himself is the necessary subject matter of our preaching. In his majesty, in his truth, and in his holiness and righteousness and wisdom and faithfulness and sovereignty and grace. And then he said this, and this is the last quote here, okay? Because it's just so good. He says, it is not the job of the Christian preacher to give people moral or psychological pep talks about how to get along in the world. When that is needed, somebody else can do that. Man, that's, that just struck me. Somebody else can do that. But most of our people have no one, no one in the world to tell them week in and week out about the supreme beauty and majesty of God. And so many of them are tragically starved for God. Isn't that true? Even for maybe a lot of Christians, if you're in a church and you're just hearing weak, anemic uh, visions of God, that somehow this pandemic, it took God just as much by surprise as it did you. And maybe he's up in heaven wringing his hands and he doesn't really know what to do. He wished he had power over viruses and diseases and over the lives of people. But bless his heart, he's doing the best he can, just like we are. Listen, that's, that's a view of God that a lot of people grow up under. And so when a, a pandemic or any kind of tragedy or emergency happens, they're at the wit's end. They have no comfort. And I'm thankful that that is not the, the vision of God that we get in the Bible and certainly not in this psalm. So that was a really long introduction. Uh, here's point number one for today, okay? What do we see in this psalm about God? God is what? God is sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign. Let me read just a few verses and we're going to camp out there, okay? I want to read verses 6 through 6 through 11 6 through 11 this talks about the power the majesty the glory but primarily the sovereignty of god here we go by the word of the lord the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their host he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap he puts the deeps in storehouses let all the earth fear the lord let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And then this is the best part of the psalm, the next two verses. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And then verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Do you hear that vision of God that the psalmist is just celebrating there? He's, he says, look, God created the heavens and the earth. By his word, by his mere word, God did that. He did it, what's called by theologians, ex nihilo. That means out of nothing came everything. God just simply spoke and, and matter that did not exist obeyed his, his voice and popped into existence. And then God, in Genesis, you read about him filling the earth and him forming the earth and him giving purpose to it and speaking truth into it revealing himself to it. Um, God, it says here, he has captured all the waters. Look at verse, I think it's verse six here. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap and he puts the deep in storehouses. It's almost like there's this image here of God taking all the drops of water in the ocean, putting them in the bottle and putting them on his countertop to look at. Or God like creating all the host of heaven, all the stars, 
uh, and, and just spanning the entire galaxies. We don't even know how many gazillions of galaxies there are out there. We're still exploring outer space and it's, uh, and it's uh, so infinite, it's infinity, it's just staggering to the human mind. Even scientists are baffled by that. And this is the God of glory that we preach. And this is the God of glory that, that uh, it's just the foundation for all of our comfort. And it says this, it says that God's counsel will stand. God frustrates all the counsel, all the plans of the people. And, and listen, you should not feel threatened by that. You should not feel threatened by that at all. That is a comfort because God is the only one who is orchestrating history, and he's the only one who is controlling history. You know, whenever you think of sovereignty, it, that involves three different ideas, okay? One is it's desire. If you're, if you're sovereign, you want to do something. If you're sovereign, you have the ability to do something. Uh, the, those two things together aren't enough. If you're sovereign, you have the authorization to do it. Uh, not long ago, I took my kids to the beach. We had to get out of the house, just like a lot of you. Well, we had cabin fever, and so we drove over to the beach, and I noticed that half of the parking lot to enact the social distancing measures and to cut down on large gatherings. Don't you dare judge me for this, right? I noticed that half the parking lot was closed off. There were cones there, there was wooden uh, sawhorses there, and uh, there was a sign that you know explained what was going on. Um, half the parking lot, that was 20 perfectly good parking spaces going to waste. And so people were dropping off their kids, their spouses, all their beach toys and paraphernalia, and then they were driving across the street, A1A, and parking and having to cross and putting themselves and their kids at risk. And I thought, man, this is terrible. Um, I mean, I should have. what I should have done is probably said, way to go, government. You're doing what you're supposed to do. But in my heart, I'm like, this is terrible. And you know what? I wanted to move those cones. Can I just be honest with you and be real? I wanted to move them. I didn't want them there. I, I had the desire to move them. And listen, I had the ability. They weren't that heavy. In fact, I watched several people that did that. But what I did not have was the authority to do it. I didn't have the authorization. And I noticed there was a sheriff deputy SUV sitting there with a sheriff uh, deputy watching everybody um, to report anybody or maybe to accost anybody that tried to do that without authority. And isn't that where we stand as human beings? We may have the power to do something. We may have the desire to do something. But that doesn't necessarily mean we have the authority. And what sovereignty means, the sovereignty of God, is that he has all of those. And nobody can say to him, hey, what are you doing? If I would have gotten out of my car and tried to move those cones, I can just guess or imagine what that sheriff deputy would have said to me. It would have been something like this. Hey, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? You're not authorized to do that. And what the Bible says over and over and over again is that nobody can ever say that to God. It says that all over the place. In fact, I want to read, I don't know if we have a, uh, a scripture for this, but one of my favorite books of the Bible is in the book of Job chapter 42, and you know that story, Job's entire life came unraveled, and he's wondering, what is going on here? Why is this happening to me? And he doesn't have any explanations. His wife doesn't have any explanations. His three friends had terrible counsel about why it was happening, and even Job himself was, was at a loss. But finally, at the very end of the book, God came. God came. It's interesting to me, if you read that book, Job lost his health. He lost all of his children to a storm, a whirlwind came and knocked their house to the ground and killed them all. And then later in the book, when God comes to reveal himself to Job, do you know that God spoke out of a whirlwind? He spoke out of probably a category five tornado. That's interesting to me. God is about to explain to Job uh, who he is, and he used the very thing um, that Job would view that was out of control. This, this whirlwind came out of nowhere and killed my kids. And God's gonna reveal himself to Job through the whirlwind. Why? Just another statement for God to say, I'm in control of this, Job. 
my counsel is at work here, and you're going to have to trust me. But there was a place in, in chapter 42 that says this. After, after God asked Job all these questions, it's the very last chapter, and he says this. Then Job answered the Lord, and he said this, verse 2. I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And you know what? That's a good confession that Job's making. He's not making it reluctantly. He is rejoicing in it. He is celebrating it. He's saying, God, you were sovereign and in control and had absolute authority over every molecule of the universe when, when this tragedy happened to my children, when this tragedy, this health crisis happened to me, and that he is confessing nothing can stay God's hand. Listen, I will read to you one of the most greatest and clearest and concise statements about God's sovereignty from the Bible. It's found in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, and you will know this story when I tell it to you. And you know, I usually don't jump around in the Bible this much, but we really, we really need to hear some biblical truth right now, and I think it's important. And some of these, some of these passages you guys can chew on later if you have time, which is something we all have a lot of right now, right? Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. The story behind this is King Nebuchadnezzar. He was very proud. He was the ruler of Babylon, and he got really cocky one day. He was walking on top of his palace, and he was beholding the great Babylon, which is one of the seven wonders of the world, right, during that time. And he said, is this not great and mighty Babylon that I have built for my glory and my majesty and my power and my greatness? And do you remember right after those words left his mouth, God judged him. God judged him, and, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar, there's no other way to put it, he absolutely lost his mind. He was judged, and he was sent out into the yard behind the palace, I guess, to live like cattle. The Bible says that his hair grew long. He grew long fingernails. He ate grass like an ox. He went crazy for seven years. The Bible's not boring. This stuff is actually in the Bible. So for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. He went crazy um, because he was proud and God was humbling him. But you know what God did after seven years? He restored him to his right mind and gave him clarity and sanity. And this is the first thing that King Nebuchadnezzar said after seven years of eating grass in the backyard behind the king's palace. Check this out. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And then verse 35, check this out. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? <laughs> In other words, what that sheriff deputy would have done to me, hey, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? Um, nobody can ever challenge God in that way. Number one, because they don't have the authority to. And, and, and number two, it wouldn't matter anyway. <laughs> what are they, they going to do? It would, be like a, it would be like a termite shaking its fist at you. And saying, what are you doing? You can't challenge me. Um, it puts me in mind of Psalm chapter 2 when the Bible says the nations are raging and people are plotting against God and against his majesty and against his laws. And you know what the response is? The Bible says this. It says, but God was in heaven and, and he was laughing at the mutiny. And that's not to, to say that, oh, God has such a hard heart toward. That was a rebellion. God was saying, who do, you, who do you think you are? But we should not feel threatened by God's sovereignty. That should be, Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, God's sovereignty, the doctrine of God's sovereignty should be, the, should be the pillow that the Christian lays his head on at night. That is one of the most comforting, stabilizing, 
anchoring, securing truths that you can find anywhere in the Bible because God is in control. He controls this virus. He controls uh, who stands in its way. He controls how many people that it impacts. I read a statistic, I think, this morning that well over 600,000 people have this right now and over 30,000 people have died. But friends, who, who controls death? Who controls health? Who controls safety? Who, who controls the path of the storm? It's God. God is writing history. And he knows the ending, and nobody can change that. God's in control of it, and that's a good thing. He can be trusted. If you look around right now, it almost looks like what Shakespeare said in Macbeth. Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. It's like you look around and you say, who is ruling the asylum here, right? Are the inmates running it? And the answer is no. God is very present right now in the midst of all this chaos, and he is untouched by all of it. God is looking down from heaven and he sees what is going on and he's here. It didn't take him by surprise. And God has a plan in all this. We're going to talk about that plan the next several weeks. God is wise. He knows exactly what he's doing. I saw the other day that ESPN is airing Disney movies right now. Did you ever think you would see the day when that would happen? Maybe that's a good thing, right? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe hit the pause button on all the entertainment that we're going through right now. Uh, we're going to talk about that a, a little bit next week. What What is God possibly doing? What wisdom would would say it's a good thing for this pandemic to spread like this. But God is sovereign, and he alone is writing history. I've been reading a book out loud to my kids, and no, it's not J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's J.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. <laughs> we've, been, we've been reading that a chapter every night, and, and my kids have not read that book or heard that book. And J.R. Tolkien, I believe, was made to be read out loud. It's just very gripping um, of novels to read and so I'm reading about these dwarves and these hobbits that are on this adventure they're trying to get through the misty mountain region and go to the lonely mountain where the dragon is sitting on the goat and the dwarves can get back their treasure and my kids don't know the end of this story right I know it I've read it before I know the end and I'm reading it to them and they're literally on the edge of their bed and they're begging me when I'm finished with one chapter to go on to the next and I close the book and I say nope you're just gonna have to wait and find out what happens tomorrow and, and in their tiny minds I know they're thinking well, are the dwarves going to die? Is, is Bilbo Baggins going to live? Is the dragon going to be able to, to, to be uh, ousted from this treasure in, in, in the middle of Lonely Mountain? And they don't know. But you know what? J.R. Tolkien did know. He wrote that book, and the ending stays. It remains the same. He's controlling it. He's the author. That's, that's the root word of authority, isn't it? He's the author. God is the author of history. He is ruling over this pandemic. But listen, God is ruling in the midst of this pandemic too. And that's the reason that we don't have cause to fear is that God is with us. He is a very present help in time of trouble. You know, Mr. Rogers is famous for one of the things that he would say to his audience, to the, the children especially, whenever an emergency or a crisis or um, something traumatic happened, Mr. Rogers said this. He said, now my mother children always told me when a tragedy happens or when an emergency happens, always find the helpers. You're always going to find helpers, and you keep your eyes on the helpers, and you watch them. And I think what this psalm is telling us to do, and what all of the Bible is telling us to do, is look, if you want the antidote for fear, for being overwhelmed by this pandemic, it's look, we, we're going to have to take our eyes off of that, and we're going to have to find the helper. And I'm not talking about the ER doctors, or the nurses, or the staff, or the restaurant owners that are doing curbside pickup, or any of that. That's awesome. That's amazing. But that can't overwhelm me. It's going to take the helper, capital T-H-E, capital H, right? We want to find the helper and keep our eyes on him. And in fact, that's what this verse in Psalm chapter 33 tells us to do. 
That's the only, after the six commands for us to sing, do you know what the other command is? The command is for us to fear the Lord. Let me read, let me read that for you. Just so you know I'm not making this stuff up. Psalm chapter 33, and I think it's going to come in verse, I think it's going to come in verse 8. Check this out. So after all the truth we just looked at, the first seven verses, the author says, let all the earth Fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And here will be my question to you right now. Are you doing that right now? Or do you feel like your ability to find comfort has been muted and undermined? Because if it is, it's because your source of comfort is something that, that can't bear up the weight of your soul. It's, it's maybe God is showing Christians too. Sometimes our worldview drifts and it gets all secularized and messed up and we forget. Like, wait a minute, we're supposed to be overwhelmed by the majesty and the power and the sovereignty of God. And these truths don't threaten us, they comfort us. The counsel of the Lord will stand. Nobody can say to him, what are you doing? You can't do this, God. You can't, you can't wreck our lives like this. You can't interrupt our lives like this. God says, trust me, I know what I'm doing. This is for my glory, but it's also for your good. There are good things that are gonna come out of this. That's what God, I think, is really wanting us um, to just rest our mind and our heart on right now. God is orchestrating history and for a confused and hand-wringing world, these are some comforting truths. We need to go back to the sovereignty of God and say, God is. You know, A.W. Tozer, the famous theologian, he used to say this, the thing that enters your mind when you hear or think about the word God is the most important thing in the universe. And that is, when, when you hear the word God, what is it that comes to your mind? Are you thinking, you know, God, bless his heart, he's trying. He's trying to help us all, and the devil did this. Or, or, you know, this virus is out of control. Listen, guys, we don't believe in duality. Satan is not sovereign over God. God created the devil when he was a perfect angel before he fell. God controls him. It's like Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. He has him on a leash. God controls. Nothing is outside the sphere of his control. Angels, people, storms, viruses, sicknesses, demons, God has all of it under the sovereign sphere of his control, and that is a good thing that we can lay our head on our pillow at night. I read, uh, I read this hymn the other night, and I'm just going to share one, one verse from it. It says this. It says, Plagues and deaths around me fly. Till he bids, I cannot die. Not a single shaft can hit until the love, excuse me, until the God of love sees fit. Do you know how important that is? When we're talking about God's sovereignty and God's power, the one attribute that so often it's easy to forget is God's love. This is a God of love who is guiding history and who's guiding our lives. And he is worthy of our most eminent trust and faith. God wants us to be overwhelmed, not just by his raw power and majesty. Uh, you know, the message from this, friends, is not God is so amazing and so big and powerful and mighty, he can squash you like a bug. That's true, he could. And for people who reject God's authority and do not believe the gospel, that is a very real threat. You know, that is, you will face at one day the wrath of God if you do not believe. And it will be a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God and fall under his judgment. But for Christians who are trusting in Christ alone, we have what Martin Luther said. We have the friendly, smiling face of God. That he is our father. It's like the little boy who was on a ship at sea and it, it was storm-tossed back and forth and everyone was terrified. And everyone came to this little boy, and he looked so calm and so placid and so serene. They said, son, do you not understand what is happening? Are you not afraid? And he said, no. 
my father is the captain of this ship and I trust him. I know he will get us to safety. Um, and honestly, that's a poor hope too, right? <laughs> that's just an illustration and it's flawed, but we have an illustration, the, the, the true, the real, the living illustration is that God is the captain. We're not the captain of our soul. That's not hopeful to me or that I'm the, I'm the master of my fate. I'm not. I reject that. The Bible rejects that. That's a terrible thing to base your life on. It's fiction. We have a much deeper and abiding truth is that God is sovereign. His counsel stands forever. And then I'm going to read the last verse here, and we're going to close with that, okay? Let's check out the very, uh, the very, very last few verses here, verses 18 and on. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. So, you know, earlier we were saying, find the helper and watch him, like Mr. Rogers said, right? Find the helper, watch the helper, keep your eyes on him. You know what a far surpassing truth is than that? What if I told you the helper is watching you? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that shift your hope to a place where it's, it, it can live? Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Do you know what this sovereign God did? Do you know what this helper did? This helper came and he died for rebels like you and I, for people that were power. Talk about power. You know, all that sin is, is just us power grabbing. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They had all this, this beauty and this, and this power that God offered them. And, and instead of that, they grasped for their own power and their own control. Um, and how did that go? They were banished. They were exiled. They became naked and afraid and ashamed and sinful. Um, but, but, but God's power, you know what God did with his power? It's almost as if God gave it away. He laid aside his lofty throne in heaven. He crawled inside a human body. He subjected himself to time and, and space and became killable. He became vulnerable. And he died on a cross for his enemies, for rebels. We were power grabbing. And the Bible says God, Jesus did not sit, uh, consider e equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Uh, the divine kenosis, he emptied himself and he became a man and he humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of a cross. That's what this amazing and sovereign God did uh, for helpless rebels like us. He came and he died for us. And that is a truth that you can lay your head uh, on at night like a pillow to comfort you. Listen, our ability to comfort has not been undermined and it has not been muted. Right now, let it be amplified and let it be underscored because the counsel of the Lord stands and it can't be thwarted, it can't be opposed, it can't be challenged. Um, and we hope in his steadfast love. And I hope you can say that as well. And we're going to close with that. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to let Megan come and share some announcements and a charge with us. So join me in praying. Lord, thank you so much for these truths. I do pray uh, that they enter into our mind and our heart and we feel overwhelmed, not by this pandemic, not by the fear, not by the anxiety, not by the uncertainty of all of this, how our life is maybe being interrupted and maybe wrecked and we're thinking of our health, we're thinking of childcare, we're thinking of money and the economy and businesses and and all kinds of things, Lord, that, that are important to, to, to think through, but we, you don't want us to be overwhelmed by those things. You want us to be overwhelmed by you to keep our eyes on the helper and to know that the helper is keeping his eyes toward us, toward those that, that fear him. So today, may this truth about you are being uh, sovereign in the heavens and you ruling and reigning over your creation with love toward those who trust you, may that truly stabilize and, and settle our hearts, God. And 
pray and ask all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Just a few announcements for you all today. Um, the first is just a reminder that um, there are multiple uh, opportunities for you to stay connected um, with us during this uh, weird time that we're experiencing. Um, the first is through email, our email subscription list, as well as our texting. Um, if you are not a part um, of either of those, you can email me at contact at gracelifeflorida.com and get signed up for that. Um, our monthly newsletter comes out on the 1st, and we have been sending a little bit more emails um, out during the week than we typically would just because of the special situation. So we promise that once all hopefully gets back to normal, we won't be flooding your inbox as much um, as we have. And then we have our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can follow us there. Um, as well as our website. Um, if you are not on social media, we have been posting um, a few uh, children's ministry content items this week. Um, Miss Courtney is doing a read along that um, if your kids um, at home want to join in on that, um, you can see on our YouTube and that'll be going on our social medias as well. And then this week she had posted also um, our memory verse challenge for April. So if you have a kid at home um, who is raring to uh, jump in the word, uh, let them memorize their memory verse, message us, send us a video. We want to see and we want to um, be able to connect with you guys and participate. Um, and then we also have two opportunities for men knowing God and women knowing God. First, I'll talk about the men. Um, we have a, a remote prayer gathering going on through Zoom, um, the online conferencing platform. That will be happening um, March 31st at 7.30 p.m. If you're interested in participating in that um, as a man, you can email me um, at contact at and get the link. Um, or you can check out our church center app. All the information as well as the link is on there as well. And then for Women Knowing God, um, we had an awesome prayer uh, gathering last week. Um, it was kind of short notice and uh, kind of came on quickly, but we have planned for another one if you did not get to be a part of the first one. Um, and that's going on April 2nd at 7.30 p.m. The link is in our app, or you can email me for the link and I will get it to you. Um, and that's all I have for you today. Um, if you would like to get notifications on when we're going live on our YouTube channel um, or when the service is happening, you can like and subscribe um, and you'll get those notifications and you'll know uh, when, we're, when we're up and running. Um, if you want to say the charge with me, we will begin now. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.